Hi, welcome to the Happiness Hive podcast. I'm Catherine Bowyer and I am completely fascinated by people and what motivates them. I've spent the past three and a half decades specialising in mindset and human behaviour and I've helped thousands of people to create happy and amazing lives. And now I am super excited to be chatting with women from around the world who I have secret and to be honest, not so secret crushes on. They're women who inspire me. I'm intrigued as to how they do life and what makes them tick. I want to find out their magic formula that makes them who they are. And at the end of the episode, I'd love for you to say, I'd like a little bit of what she's having. The conversations are real and raw. They're full of passion, inspiration and lots of fun. And nothing is off limits. So grab yourself a cuppa or pop on your trackie and go for a walk and join us for today's chat. There may just be that pearl of wisdom you need to hear. So let's shimmy on over and get started. I am really looking forward to today's chat with my gorgeous friend, Jen Harkness. We were just chatting. I think we met just before my wedding, which is nearly 28 years ago. So we met, I knew Jen's mum. I used to play golf with Jen's mum and another girlfriend. And I met Jen through her mum. And it's been beautiful because we've reconnected in the last sort of five or six years. And it's just been really, really lovely to reconnect with Jen. And Jen has a really, like, just such a inspirational story. And we have very similar journeys from growing up. Jen's dad passed away when she was young. My mum passed away when I was young and we're a member of that club, Jen, that's not a great club to be a member of, but we sort of share some very, a lot of similarities. So welcome, welcome to today's podcast chat. How are you? Thank you. I'm excited. I'm a little nervous. I was very honoured, as you know, when you asked me, I thought you were crazy, but no, I'm very honoured and I'm really excited about it. Just like chatting with you anyway. Yeah, I know. Do you know what? I love, you, you do, you have such an inspirational story and it's really the thing I love, Jen, about you is just your mindset and how, and how you, you have such a positive mindset and outlook on life. So let's go back before we dive into that, that mindset stuff, but what was life like for you growing up? Do you want to just share some of that with the yeah, audience? Yeah, uh, life for me was fantastic as a small child. I have all those memories of sitting on my dad's lap, you know, driving the car down the street and as you did. <laughs> yes. Got yes. children, they could have a steer of the steering wheel. You know, my dad used to come home from work and my mum used to tell me he was very tired. It wasn't until I got older to realise that he was very maybe had a few white beers before he came home. Oh, okay. <laughs> and my mum and dad, you know, would sneak up the corridor. They had three kids, would sneak up the hallway for a bit of a cuddle and I would pop along as a five-year-old and jump up on his arm. And my mother used to say, drove her nuts because I was always, wherever my father was, I was. Oh. And my grandmother used to laugh because as a three-year-old, he'd come home from work and he was a construction worker and he'd come home dirty and he'd sit beside the fridge and if there was leftover lamb or something in the fridge, he would sit there and have that as a snack, cut it up and have it as a snack. And my grandmother used to laugh and say, you know, she'd hear the, I'd hear the car and I'd run into the kitchen and sit beside the fridge because I knew he was going to be there for a snack. <laughs> so from naught to, to nine, my life was very normal. We lived by the coast and we went to the beach and, you know, my mum and dad were very normal people. And then one morning um, when I was nine, that world just changed. Yeah. We got a, we were visiting relatives and as we left, 
I remember seeing these men coming across the road and I thought this is an odd place for these people to be. They're friends of my father's. And they just said to my mother, basically, Danny's gone. Oh, and that yeah. was the moment that the, the world just – and we got put in a car and taken – I got. I don't even know where my siblings were, to be honest. I can't remember. But I don't think my brother was there. My sister must have been. And that was sort of like the darkest day of my life, and it was very confusing. 1970s. Yeah. Like it was the day that my world changed. Yeah. The safety, the security, and – all of those things and the, and it was the day I didn't even know the funeral was on. I think my brother and sister went to school the day of my father's funeral yeah. and it wasn't anything my mother had any control over. She was 34. She'd just lost the love of her life and she had three children in the seventies to raise. It was not, you know, everybody took over for the better of everybody else. And, and I, and I was sort of uh, the oldest. So I was kind of told to look after the other kids and I'm, you know, so life changed and I became yeah. a very, I guess, I was very sad, you know, I was and very angry. As I got older, I got very angry because I thought, you know, no one ever listened and everybody was my bad, dad's best friend. My dad had a huge personality and was a very well-liked man and everybody was his best friend and everybody was looking out for me. He would, you know, and I'm, I'm thinking my father would never have asked you to look out for me, like who do you think you are sort yeah. of thing. And he was my world. My mother was an incredibly strong woman and I think, you know, you know, you think the universe picks people for a reason, they were brought together for a reason, not the greatest reason, obviously, but mm. my mother was an incredibly resourceful woman. She had to go back to work and my mother and father had a really lovely, even though it wasn't a long relationship, they met in New Zealand. He was a garbage truck driver. It was over there and she was waitressing and, you know, I think she, when she met him, she said he had his head shaved because, you know, he had maggots in it or something. something very attractive, <laughs> She fell in love with him, but he wrote poems. My father was a rigger and a truck and a, and a, and a crane driver. He used to write my mother poems. Oh, how um, beautiful, Jen. Because she lived in Sydney. And he, so they had this, you know, they were, he, she was the love of her life. And yeah. so her life changed too. And I think yeah. as a child, I didn't see her life was affected. I saw my life was affected. But, you know, yeah. she had three kids to raise on her own. She's done an amazing job because we're all amazing kids. But, <laughs> you know, she was a very strong, determined woman and, her and I battled for a long time because of the strength yes. she had and the strength that I had. And oh, she was probably tired anyway. But I was an angry teenager and it was, you know, that, that anger with me stuck around for a long time, I think. What did you, cause, do you know what, that's almost like we could have been twins growing up because when my mum passed away, it was just kind of like she's gone and it was never explained as to really what that meant. And there was no counselling. So what year, for me, that was 70 seven uh, 78 1978 75 I think yeah so there was no counseling there was just that get on with life and I'm like you Jen too very strong very independent but god I was angry I was just I didn't even know I didn't even have a label I didn't realize I was so angry until you know, quite some years afterwards, it was just harboring all these emotions. So, yeah, and I think as a as a as a girl losing her dad, like the emphasis, yeah. I, had, I had a brother, and the emphasis was very much about him losing his dad. And I think, yeah. you know, and this is again no criticism of of the people of the time. It was they didn't know any better, but it was all important that the boy lost his dad, but the girl lost her protector. Yes. And I have another sister, you know, my sister doesn't yes. have a memory of my father because she was too little, but we lost our protector. Yeah. So we lost the guy that was going to kick the boys up the bum if they came and picked on us, you know, that, yeah. that meant that was our safety net, I guess. Yes. Um, yes. Yeah. And, and so, yeah, we lost that. We lost, we also lost 
that interaction with how to actually interact with a man, like how yeah. to form those relationships, which it, later in life affected me greatly because I never had that confidence. Yeah. Um, and I really, I'd never grown up with a man in my house except an annoying younger brother, you know, who didn't become a man until much later in life when I liked him. So not that I didn't like him, but, you know, that sibling stuff. That's interesting, actually. That's really interesting about losing the male role model in your family and the flow-on effects. For me, losing the female role model and those flow-on effects as well. So it's interesting, isn't it, about how that sort of shapes us as even into our adult years. My main role model was my mother, who was an incredibly, yes, yeah. incredibly strong. Yeah, she and, is. And, yeah. you know, as you know, you know my yeah, mother. Yeah, 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 and, yeah. But she's an incredibly strong woman and she's 81 now. And, you know, yeah. she's still that strong role model to yes next generation you know she does not miss one of my granddaughter's swimming lessons who's seven months old she's there every week to watch that yeah. and that's she's just an incredibly strong yes yeah, she player. is yes yes and, she and wasn't she, quite as good as golf as me i used to enjoy um <laughs> i don't think she would argue that point we were either. all terrible we were all terrible but god we had fun I remember growing up, you know, there were years, when I was about 32, my mother apologised to us for not giving us the life we sh- that we should have had. Oh. And we all looked at her as if to say, do you need to be certified? Like, are you crazy? When we moved to Canberra, we were the only people we knew had a single income. We had a two-storey house and a swimming pool. We thought we'd hit jackpot. We had no idea. Wow. We, we didn't wow. know. You know, she just, we never were hungry. No. My mother's always been house proud. We always had a yes. beautiful home. Yes, yeah. We always had food on the table, you know. She said, "Do you remember when the fridge broke and we were living out of an esky? We like we were teenagers. No. What notice would we have taken? You know, we had no idea." Wow. But when I think back at the the strength that she must have had, you know, there's lots of times yeah. where I've pulled from that that I've needed to pull from that in my own life, you know, moving forward. To think she got through so much without help. You know, there was no because it was a very different time, wasn't it? Very different, very different time, time. and. and she, yeah, and she just determined to stay at home. My sister was 14, I think, before my mother went back to work full time. Wow. So yeah. that was 10 years she did, you know, she battled and, and she really struggled with going back to work full time. She felt like that was not the right thing to do, but it was the right thing for her to do. And, and I'm glad she did for her because it set her up. Now she's comfortable in her retirement. You yes, know? yes, yeah. Now she's having a good time in her retirement and she's still enjoying life. And, and I think that she retired and didn't then went back to work until she was 78. Oh, good no, she, you know, she's just a, an amazing a woman, and she's and my grandmother was an amazing woman. Her mother was an amazing woman. So the strength sort of comes. And down. the strength is there, and that's one thing I see with not one thing. That's one of the things, Jen, that I see with you. There is a real strength about you, mm. and it's a strength of character, but a strength in that, like you have the kindest, kindest heart that I have ever seen in anybody. That you are about not only yourself, like you're a strong, independent woman, and that sounds like that's part of your, you know, generational, (laughs) intergenerational elements as well, but you've just got the kindest, most beautiful heart, always there for other people. And we'll talk more about that in a minute as to some of the things that you do for other people, but I think that's just part of who you are as well. You know, so back in the back in the day, yeah, back in the eighties, you know, you could or seventies actually, you could have your children charged with uncontrollable. And my mother had had enough, and I don't blame <laughs> her. Oh, she was dealing with an angry teenager and two other teenagers. You know, yeah, she was tired, and I was just I was just a squeaky wheel. I wasn't really doing anything that bad, but I was a naughty teenager. Yeah, 
Yeah. She basically said to me one day, you're either going to counselling or I'm taking you to the police and charging you with uncontrollable. Oh. And at the time I'm like, oh, I'm too scared of the police. Like I was not about getting in trouble. So I said, oh, can I take the other option? Wow. It's a pivotal moment in my life where my life changed again because I sat down and I said to the counsellor, she said, what have you got to say? And I said, what's the point? No one ever listens. And she said, this is your hour. You talk. Yeah. Wow. And I talked and it was almost like instantly I just went, thank you. That's all I needed to do. Was oh, gosh. And I had this big, the whole of my weight lifted off my shoulders. I felt walked out of there, you know, feeling 10 kilo lighter. And, and we moved to Canberra after that. And I felt like this is a fresh start. And oh, wow. Yeah, it was it was a really big moment, but it, it changed then. So I was 15 when I came to Canberra, but that that then changed, you know, some other things that I chose to do later in life because I knew what it felt like to be heard finally, and I wanted to do that for some other kids. Yeah. So when I was 18, I went to Bernardo's to do a friends program, a kids program, a friends program it was, and I was 18, and they said I couldn't do it at 18. I was too young, and I said, well. Why? Can you just explain what Bernardo's is? Because there'll be people listening to this that won't. But Bernardo's is, Dr. Bernardo's originally years ago was a very different thing to now, but it it used to take in foster children and now it runs a whole heap of programs. And one of the programs it runs was for children who not necessarily are are children who are troubled, but they might be in a family where there's challenges and that child might be getting ignored or, you know, put aside because there's other challenges the family got to focus on. So it's just, it was just a, it was like a big sister, big yeah, brother kind yeah. of program, but I was too young and they wouldn't let me join. And I was determined. I decided that I wanted to start at 18. So that was, I didn't care what the mother's rules were. So I <laughs> had a few discussions with them and everything they said to me, I said, but what if this, but, you know, so anyway, they said, all right, we'll give you a try. So I, I was given a nine year old, which is ironic because that was exactly that was the age. My father yeah. died. Wow. And I was given a nine-year-old boy at the time, and that relationship started lasted for ten years. I mean, I don't see him now; he'd be late in his late forties. But that was his journey in life, and I didn't need him to come back into my life. Yeah, yep. thank you. I just know, thank you for me was that he's a, he's married or he's married in a relationship. He's got four kids. He's he's a good dad. That was my reward. Yeah, beautiful. Yeah, and I and I did it again one other time for another child, and again she was nine. It was just ironic. That is very still ironic. In, and mm. she is still in my life now. She's now 24 and very much part of my life. Yeah, so that was kind of – because I knew what it felt like to be heard. You know, once it was – it's a powerful thing for a child to be finally yeah. heard. And, and you know, I'm very conscious. I've got two daughters and I'm very conscious of hearing what they've got to say because it's it's so empowering. Yeah, it's amazing. Isn't that something – I'm thinking about my sort of trajectory in life as well and almost – you know, having been through challenging, traumatic moments, they do shape and define you, even though we sort of say don't be defined by your past, but they still, it's defined me who I am and how I choose to live life. You know, I was like you, I was angry. Man, I was angry, but then I decided that's not how I want to live life anymore. And a very defining moment for me was about just going, I can either live in this doom and gloom and continue to, you know, just hate on the world and hate on myself, or I can actually change the way I think about things and do things differently. And just looking back, that for me, that was probably in my mid-20s, in all honesty, that I really went, you know what, I want things to be different not happy with how it's going at the moment. So I was very, very conscious there and very conscious around others who have, 
you know, had shitty things happen in life and how to sort of sprinkle a little bit of that, you know, helping them to to feel good about themselves and the lives that they're living. Yeah. yeah, and I think that truly the biggest turning point in my life following on from all of that was the 24th of March, 1989, you know, when I had my first daughter. Yeah. Emotional. Oh. Uh, because that was like yes. there is no pure – well, I found out there is more pure love than that when you have a grandchild, but at the time that was just like – Yes. amazing you know this this fresh child and then you know I had another daughter uh, three years later and they would be the two in my mind the two things that were the greatest yes. things that ever happened to me yeah yeah it was wonderful yeah so you're a grandma now I am a grandmother she remains a gorgeous grandchild and I feel for other people who have <laughs> children because mine's the greatest yeah that's your <laughs> Only every conversation I have, the same, my grandparents tell me the same thing, but they, I don't, they haven't seen mine yet. No, it's <laughs> a delight. But she's just like she just brings love to everybody. Yes, Everybody's that's beautiful. Just, you know, she's in the room, and suddenly no one's got. There's no one looking at their iPhones. They're looking at, at Charlie yeah. doing whatever, blowing bubbles, and she knows we're watching us. She's seven months yes. old. She knows. Yeah. Yeah. You know, there's just it's just beautiful. It's just such children are just such a joyous thing, and she is just divine. Like we all love her, and I can. Oh. Give her back when I'm tired. Yeah. <laughs> Do you think it's appropriate, Jen, to put? Because my kids don't have kids yet. Do you think it's appropriate for me to kind of pressure them into? I'm <laughs> just asking. No. Look, you know what? It's, it's in, in case they're listening, kids. In case you're listening, <laughs> yeah. You might have fur babies. So apparently, that's just as good. But yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And that is the thing. The world is changing, and I love the fact that people can choose not to do that. Oh, absolutely. And yeah. there's no pressure. Like I love that. Please, it's before like anybody writes in and tells me not to put pressure on them, I absolutely don't. I absolutely just. There's no like pressure of just being what you want to do now. Like if you don't choose yeah. to get married, you don't have to get married. No. Those no. definite things about a relationship or life now it don't doesn't define how you're going to live your life. You're not losing if you don't. No. Buy a house and have children. No, no. That about the world now. We're a bit more accepting. So that's good. So Jen, do you think you're, you're, cause I do see you as being very resilient and you do have a positive outlook on life. Do you think that, where's that kind of come from? Has that come from, you know, the traumatic events of the, your dad passing away or is that just who you would have been anyway? Do you think? Well, my mother, my mother just, Described me once as pig-headed. I didn't know what that meant. I thought she was telling me I had a head like a pig. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I've always been stubborn. Like I was yeah, a stubborn okay. child. So I think I had that in me anyway. Like I think that strength was there anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was also the eldest, so that might have yeah. made a bit of a difference as well. But I, I, I don't know. I think the fight came from survival. I don't know. I don't know. Like I just, I've watched my mother. I've watched yeah. my mother from the age of nine. Yeah. Being strong. And I think it just naturally happened. And then when I had to be strong myself and, you know, I had, I had two children. I was married for 24 years and, you know, marriage is never perfect, but we had a lot of good years in that yeah. marriage. And yeah. when that ended, it kind of like I had to redefine who I was. So you always have, I think I've had a few moments in my life where I've had to decide who I was. Yeah. Again. My girls were older then and then suddenly I wasn't needing to be their mother. So suddenly I'm now me on my own again. Yeah. Who am I? Like I'm no longer working for the family. I'm working for me. I'm no longer planning for the family. I'm planning for me. And I hadn't done that. Everything I've ever done was for the family. You know, every win was for the family. It was never my win. So I didn't, I took that, I struggled 
for a little while with that. What were some of the things that you did, do you recall? Because there's a lot of women at various stages of life that would be looking for that same, to answer that same question, who am I? Like even me with the kids, you know, having left Canberra and that empty nester and it's like, who am I in the, at that stage of my life? And, you know, things are, I'm still the same person, but I am showing up differently. So what were some of the things do you remember going, thinking about? Well, it was interesting because your friendship circles changed too. Yes. Suddenly don't get invited to the dinners because you're no longer part of a couple. People don't want to take. It's it's a really weird. Mm. Look, I was really lucky at the time. I had a fantastic job that I really loved. And I was, the people I was working with were people from the Pacific and they were really humbling and grateful and just beautiful people. And I think I was incredibly lucky at that stage because I would drive to work with people in the back of the car. With, and I put a guitar in the back of the car and they'd, we'd sing to work. You know, it was. Oh, how beautiful. Yeah. And, and I, and I had that interaction with people that were just really humble who, I don't know, I got so much from it, but I studied for two years and then, um, you know, every now and then I'd have a moment and I'd put Adele on and I'd bring a girlfriend and say, I'm listening to Adele and she'd say, step away, <laughs> step away from Adele. Uh, it was a struggle. It was really hard because I, the girls were getting older. They had their lives and I didn't want to be a problem to them. I didn't want them to feel like they had to come and, you know, be with mum every yeah. week because she didn't know what to do. But yeah. eventually I just got on with life. You know, I just kind of figured I, I had to get on with life. I had some really lovely friends and I had friends in the same situation and we kind of just, you know, all experimented and with life again, you know, and then I just kind of got to a point where I enjoyed that freedom of not yeah. having to be committed to being home after work. I could go wherever I wanted. I could plan whatever I wanted to do, mainly no further than, you know, five-mile radius because I didn't have the money to do it because I was also <laughs> planning to live on a new budget because I'd gone from two to one and a mortgage yep. and all that stuff. So it was a massive change. But what I, I've always – money's never been a driving force in my life. I've had money and I've had no money, and it doesn't matter. Yeah. Always gotten through, you know, and I look back and I think, well, that was 13 years ago, you know, 13 years ago, if you'd have told me that I'd still be doing what I'm doing, I'd say, you're mad, you know, like there's no way in the world. So I had to redefine, I had to find yeah. a new life and, you know, then things just sort of happened, you know, I was lucky enough to get a gig overseas and go and work overseas for two years and, and that was a new chapter in my life and I was, you know, I could, be me, free from everything. I was so free. almost starting from afresh again. Like you said, yeah. when you moved to Canberra, that was an opportunity to start mm. afresh and then at the redefining yourself and having that opportunity to live overseas is that renewal, you know, that renewal process. Yeah. And I'd got to achieve something that I've been wanting to achieve. My father was a diver. Um, he used to go lobster yeah. diving. And so I took up diving and I absolutely became obsessed with it. It became, if people talk about how they get out of the bed in the morning and meditate or, you know, do whatever yeah. their routines are, my routine was the weekend was diving. That was my meditation. You know, that was my Zen moment, if you want to call yeah. it. That was the, just the most peaceful environment I could be in. Um, and I did a lot of that for 12 months. I dived a lot, a lot. That's, um, <laughs> Yeah, that, it, you know what, that's really interesting when you say that Zen moment. That brings up diving is not my Zen moment at all. I remember, oh God, it was probably a hundred years ago doing a conflict resolution training and they said they were doing this meditation and just visualize that you're 
that you're diving underwater and you're surrounded by all this, what, what I'm sure you would find very, very peaceful and cathartic. I actually had a panic attack in that meditation because that just, that just freaks me out on so many levels. Yeah. Just the confinement. Sorry, that Boston in the background. Um, so that's even just the differences in what, what, what are our Zen places, but you were able to do that. And I know you talk about that a lot. I love it. It was a really, a really important moment. Yes. Important time in my life. And it also got me through another, you know, another point, turning point in my life, I guess, because it sort of came after that, the next big turning point in my life after my marriage ended, you know, with two years later when I was, was it two years? No, it was four years later I was diagnosed with Parkinson's disease. And I, you know, that was another huge moment in my life. I'd had a friend diagnosed, so I kind of knew about Parkinson's, so I wasn't kind of confused about what it was. What it was, yeah. What it to be in me. <laughs> How old were you, Jen? How old uh, were you? 48 at the time. Wow. Is yeah. that common for people with Parkinson's to be diagnosed so young? Uh, they say about 20% is the, the rough figure. In Australia, we say about 20% of the population are under the age of 50 when they're diagnosed. Wow. So, you know, the youngest I know is 32, personally, that I know is 32, that is a friend of mine. So that's, and that's, that brings a whole heap of different challenges. Like with Parkinson's, when you're diagnosed after 60, it's not going to be different. The, the challenges are going to be the challenges in terms of your health, but the extra challenges, you're still paying a mortgage. You've still got a career when you're under 50, people raising children. So it was, Again, I then had to go, well, now who am I again? You know, now who am I? Now I've got the big P over the top of my head, you know, and is this my life? Is You know, I was terrified that five years' time because the doctor had told me I had five good years left in me. Oh, gosh. Um, oh. But, you know, I was after five, 50, well, what was it? So how long ago was that? Then that was nearly how many eight years? years? Eight years ago. Okay, yeah, so, so the doctor's thinking, saying you've got five good years. Yeah, so 53, oh. I, I had myself pictured in a, you know, mobile thing in a nursing home because I live alone and I was not yeah. going to do that. Like it was terrifying. And, you know, I thought this is awful. I've since learned you do not let people define. No, no, no. Limit. I think there's been studies into that where doctors have said the prognosis is, you know, six months, 12 months that people have actually, that have listened to that, they've allowed that to get into their whole psyche and being. I, yeah, I Maybe that's another conversation for another day, but that that's not cool. That's no, not cool. and it's it's it it's time wasting. So yes, yeah, you know, from from my experience of being diagnosed with Parkinson's, I I just was angry about the fact that there was nowhere to go. Nobody told you what to do. They just said go. I mean, I was I remember standing at the register at the counter where I when I got diagnosed. Mind you, I'd already had to go up the doctor for smiling when he told me I had Parkinson's. I said to him, in the future when you're going to diagnose someone, do you think you could wipe the smirk off your face? I was so angry with him. And he also had a really awful haircut. He was lucky I didn't go in that. <laughs> Terrible haircut for a man with so much money. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> I wanted to tell him, but I just told him about smirking. I thought, that Yeah, that's awful. terrible. Yeah. And then when I walked out, you know, I'm standing at the, at the counter waiting to pay and, you know, they're taking my card off me and tapping and giving me receipts and I'm blubbering, not even an offer of a tick, a tissue, not sit down. Do you want a glass of water? And, you know, nothing. And it was just such a horrific experience. But like I said, I had a friend who, who was, who'd been there down that road with, Four years before, and I'd done a lot of reading on her behalf, so I kind of knew what was what it was. Did all you about. know that the sim- what were the symptoms? What? Uh, it really basic stuff. 
I had a frozen shoulder for a long time. I was being treated by with at the uh, the chiropractor, and then I had a twitching thumb, and then I had a twitching finger, and then I had a twitching muscle in my forearm, and then it just became a tremor, and then it went to my leg and fatigue, huge fatigue. But that's not always the case because not everyone gets a tremor. So no, when you get a tremor, it's much easier to diagnose because doctors will be looking for it. When you don't have a tremor and you're young. It takes years for a lot of people. Because there's a lot of the symptoms that could be other things as Correct. well. And they okay, don't want yeah. to just say, put you down that, that road straight away. But I had a tremor in my left arm and I had a tremor in my left leg and that was a fair. And as soon as I started medication, that all sort of went away. So that was okay. kind of, that's one of the indicators, you know, if the medication works, then, you know, because it's when you, when you diagnose with Parkinson's, dopamine is the, the thing that controls everything in your body. In your yeah. brain, and your movement, your co- cognitive stuff, your every system in your body that you can think of, it's controlled by the dopamine in your brain and yeah. how your brain functions. And you know, by the time you're do- diagnosed, they believe you've lost about 86% of your dopamine. Wow. Yeah. So naturally, over time, we lose dopamine. That's yeah, not yeah, yeah. common, right? So by the time we're older, we will lose it. But with Parkinson's, you lose it much quicker, and it affects everything. So yeah. So I took out, I had this, uh, wonderful, you know, Michael J. Fox was the only person that you yeah. know, everyone knew had Parkinson's and, yeah. and he, he wrote something that I thought was really interesting about Parkinson's. He said two things that I, that I kind of grabbed onto and then I had this like palmy affirmation thing that I found and I posted it on my mirror from day one on the, yeah. as I walked out the door. I've still got it on my bathroom mirror. I don't read it. I just have to see the color yeah. of the paper and I know what it means, but I live it now so I don't need to read it, but it's still there if I live it. And basically he said three, he said two things. One was acceptance. The sooner you accept something, the quicker you get on with things. And acceptance doesn't mean you like it. No. It frees you to no. live your life. And I went, he said words like that. That's how I translate it now. And I went powerful because that's exactly what I did. You know, about five days after I went back overseas after being diagnosed, I was walking on a walking track crying, thinking my life's going to be over. And then I remember getting to one corner and just thought, said to myself, you've got to be kidding. You have not got time for this crying. Get on with it. And I stopped. That was the last time I felt sad about having it. And I I accepted that I had it. I didn't yeah. like it. I didn't like I still wasn't ready for, for the progr- for the progression or seeing other people who were who'd progressed a long way, but I'd accepted I had it. And that yeah. gave me the freedom to then live my life and kind of and I'm I make I use humour for everything. So you know, that was really great. And I allowed people around me, you know, I said to yes. sort of people around me that they had permission to use humour with me as well. And at first they'd say, oh, is that appropriate? And I'd say, yes, I've told you to do it. You know, one friend gave me a mouse pad that said, ready, steady, shake, ready, steady, shake. <laughs> My daughter gave me a shaky Easter egg, you know, like. And, and I, you know what I think too there, Jen, it's about normalising something and not hiding it. I think that is so incredibly powerful about acceptance. So with the, you know, the diagnosis that you were given doesn't mean you like it, but you've accepted it. And for me, that is like, you know, I'm, I'm studying spiritual psychology at the moment. And that is one of the foundational, like the principles of spiritual psychology is acceptance. Yeah. To accept what is, um, doesn't mean you have to like it, but when you accept and allow, and then you, you then say, well, how am I going to move on with this? Because when there's that resistance, it causes a whole lot of either internal stuff going on or it manifests in 
just a whole range of shitty ways as well. So I think that's really powerful to hear that. And I I think it's also really powerful to hear about normalising it. It's part of your life. You you have never hidden that. You've been very, very open. And it's not a woe is me, but you're very real about it. And I love I love that because it's also educating other people, you know, for our own health, but also about how to navigate that with other people as well. Yeah. And the second thing that he's Michael J. Fox said, uh, we have no choice about the fact that we have Parkinson's. Now you can take Parkinson's out of that and put yeah. that anything. You yeah. have no choice about whether you have whatever, whatever yeah. a blank, but you have a million choices about how you choose to deal with it. And that's, so that leading on from the acceptance part and that next part, that was kind of the, the next thing I lived by. And then the third part of it was this thing I had on my wall that says, basically, if you believe it's permanent, it will be. If you believe you are sick, it will be. If you believe yeah. nothing will ever get better, it will never get better. Yeah. And so it's about that language that you use. I never refer to myself as suffering with Parkinson's. A lot of people say, oh, you know, everyone's suffering with Parkinson's. Not everyone's suffering with Parkinson's. And I, even people who are suffering with Parkinson's still want to live with Parkinson's. Yes. And suffering is such a negative word. And I know people suffer. Don't get me wrong. I, mm. I, I know it and I see it and it's frustrating and it, it rips people down that are strong, you know, able people are, it cripples people. But if we use that language ourselves, it's, I, I've, heard, I've, look, I've done, I've done interviews where, you know, they've wanted to film me tying up my shoelaces. I know why, because they want people yeah. to see that tremor. That's okay. Yeah. Whatever it takes, this is how I feel about yeah. it. Whatever it takes to get that message across. I'm never going to stand there and be offended if someone uses the wrong word. I just choose not to use the word suffer. Yeah. I think the minute I suffer, I do not, and I, and I still, I've got Parkinson's disease. It's a weird thing for me because I don't feel ill. Yeah. I'm not ill. Mm. I'm not sick. So you don't, you know, that make, I don't feel. Is that what they refer to? Do they say you've got Parkinson's disease or you've got Parkinson's disease? Parkinson's Dis- disease. So dis-ease. Yeah. Dis-ease. So yeah. when you say disease to someone. Yeah. That's like, that's a sickness. That's an illness. And, yeah. and yes, it is, but I don't, I, I just don't, I just don't see it that way. Yeah, sure. And I, I think that's when you were saying there about you being mindful of the language that you use. I think that's just in life. Be mindful of the language. You know, what you're putting in to your mind and to your body, whether that be food, substances, but it's also what you say to yourself and the language mm-hmm. and the suffering has a negative connotation. Whereas living with Parkinson's, that's what you're doing. You're yeah. living, you're, 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 you're not denying, you're not saying you don't have it. Whereas I know a lot of people with health challenges, they go into that denial. You know, I don't want to judge people, but I think that acceptance, acknowledgement, but then, like you said before, you've got the choices. You don't have the choice whether you have it, but you have the choices in how you manage that. Yeah. You know, both you and I, we lost parents when we were young. We had no choice in that, but we yeah. actually had a choice in how we managed it, whether we consciously knew that at the time or not. But a really powerful message for people is whatever's happening in life, it's about how you manage what's happening in life and you also said you you know you had a had your five minute pity party but then you went you know what this is not serving you so you choose to move on from that and I think that's really healthy as well and it doesn't mean that I don't have days it doesn't mean I was going to ask that you know I have I have days where I have extreme pain 
then we, you know, I'm, we know, I know that I can modify find my meds and that's good, but I, I don't let that define me. I, I, but I get down and then I get up again and I've got some really lovely people that I can confide in that I can, can trust. Yes. And that's where I will go with that. That's what yeah. I do. And I've, so, and the reason I talk about my, me and what, what I went through is because, and when I was saying about that diagnosis thing, the thing that drives me now is that I, while I'm able to, I feel like I'm a good example. If you, if someone was diagnosed with Parkinson's tomorrow, I would want to meet me. Yeah. Not because, well, because I'm fantastic, but yeah. because of that. <laughs> because if yeah. I want to see what I'm going to look like in eight years, this gives me hope. I've met a yeah. lady who was in her seventies who was still living a very productive life and that gives me hope. Yeah. And I think, the, it's not about avoiding the people that are really do have issues living with yeah. Parkinson's, not yeah. a, but you can't go down that road day one. Yeah. You can't, if you met the first person you met with Parkinson's was really, really in a bad way, where does that send your head? That gives your head no ability to kind yeah, of exactly. and go, yeah. oh yeah, I've got a good, I've got a good life ahead of me because you don't know enough about it. You don't know that it's not the same for everyone. You don't know that there's plenty of things you can do to help yourself. You don't know that there's support out there. You don't know that you can live a productive life because you don't know anything about it yeah. until you've got it. So if you're going to if you're going to get it, like I want people to find someone that they know and that's the saddest part about it. There are so many people isolated. Yes. I this is why I do what I do is because the more I talk about it, the more it normalizes it. But it also means it means people can step forward and say, I need help. I need to talk to someone. I will have coffee with anyone, anytime, anywhere. I will take a phone call to discuss somebody, to talk to someone. I've had people, a person ring me on the bus back from Sydney wanting to talk because they've just been diagnosed. With been diagnosed. And you've set up, Jen, a, you've got a Facebook group, don't you, for yeah. Parkinson's. You've so set I, that up. Yeah. Yeah. So what I found was that there were people, there was another page and it was a great page, but it was a lot of people who were retired. Yes. And so the questions about how you live and work with Parkinson's, what's your rights in your workplace? How does your family, because you might, it might not be about you living in, with Parkinson's. It might be about your family member who's living yeah. with you with Parkinson's and starting at work full time. So I set up a page basically for people who live and work, but it's turned into anything. I don't never return someone away. I don't, there's no tick box. If no. you've got work, you can get out of my page. Yeah. It's for anyone who feels they need that positive aspect. Look, I've, and it's a, it's not a huge page. I never set it up to be. I didn't care if it had 200 people. I didn't care if it had 6,000 people. It was about the people who needed to be there were there, and it's been lovely because it's become a little community. And you know, we've met face to face. Some people I've met face to face. Some people we meet over line, over thing, in the internet or whatever. But there's some really wonderful, inspiring people living yeah. really well with Parkinson's, and I. I just, that's the message I keep trying to get out to people is, you know, don't define who you are by someone else's yeah. prognosis or progression because that's not what's going to happen for you. And we could even take that further in don't define yourself by other people. Yeah. <laughs> like whether, you know, if we take it out, you know, when you said before you could, we can just apply that to, to yeah. life. Um, yeah. What's next for you, Jen? Look, I'm just working. I've got three years left of work that yeah. I need. I want to make 60 to retire. Yeah. And then I want to do, I keep doing what I'm doing with people with Parkinson's because I know it's so important. And I think the thing we forgot after the Parkinson's was I got diagnosed with breast cancer, which what led me to doing so much with Parkinson's because yeah. when I got diagnosed with breast cancer, they gave me so much information. They were so Yeah, sure. Yeah. It was so well set up and I went, this is really bad. You know, there's got to be a contrast, which is what drove me to 
you know, again, another defining moment of who I am now, you know, breastless and whatever else. But, uh, you know, I could, I could talk all day about that stuff. But at the end of the day, it, it was the same. I had to imply the same thing to that as I applied to Parkinson's again, accept it again. Yeah you know, choices about how to deal with it. And that's what I chose to do. It was a tough 12 months. It was much harder than Parkinson's. But at the end of the day, it gave me the catalyst to do what I'm doing now for people that with, with Parkinson's. And I spend, I'll do anything people need help with. I'll listen to anybody who needs to be heard because I, I understand what that early days are like until you find your feet. Yeah. And I say to people, you know, and, and again, this could be applied to anything is, the sooner you get your head in the game, doesn't matter what medication you're taking, as soon yeah. as you get your head in the game, as soon as you find out what you need to do for you and as soon as you start that taking action for your life because we are the worst advocates of ourselves. We don't, you know, we go to a doctor's surgery and the doctor will say, as my doctor did, you've got, got five good years. I mean, I should have picked up something on the table and thrown it at him. Yeah. Really how dare he tell me what my Absolutely, life is. I get, I get very, yeah, so, you know, about I'm a, that with, I'm a big, yeah. I'm a big push for tell people to be their own advocate, you know, to, yeah. to, to take and don't go to the doctors, take a list of questions to the doctor. Yes, he's got 20 minutes, he's going to push you out the door because he's got other patients to see yeah. and I appreciate that. But if you've got 10 questions to ask, then you don't leave that surgery until those 10 questions are answered. Because you and know, do you know what I love, Jen? Months. Yeah, and you're a really good, support for people because often when they're in the midst of you know a diagnosis a life-changing diagnosis Mm. they're not thinking clearly so what I've observed is that you're there from your experience to help other people to make it I don't know whether easier is the right term but you certainly are there to help other people in their experiences because not everybody has the resources at you know the the, the resources to manage things themselves. So, um, and it is a grieving process when you go through when yes, you diagnose something. It's a grieving process, and most people don't look at it that way. Absolutely. And and some people are too hard on themselves. Yeah. Others around them don't understand what they're going through. It's hard yeah. to articulate. So, you know, people relationships are stretched because you know yeah. suddenly the whole that person's changed. Cognitively, yeah. they've changed. Their moods may change. Yeah. Lots of things may change about them, and not everybody can handle it. My daughters are wonderful, but they don't like talking about it. Uh, interesting. But they're wonderful support, and that's yeah. you know that's their coping mechanism. Mm. I know they're proud of how I handle it. I know they're very very supportive of me, but they don't necessarily talk about Parkinson's as such because the reality of it, they talk about yeah. the superficial stuff. But yeah. that's their way of coping, and that's fine. Yeah, that's absolutely fine. I'm not going to tell them. You know, they they they'll be there there for me, and they'll be there for me. But that's fine. And that is my drive is to stay well. So I'm, I'm not that they have their lives. They raise their kids. They do all the stuff they're going to do, whatever it is they want to do. And, and yeah. they don't have to stop that for me yet. That's interesting to being cognizant of people's reactions mm. and not imposing. It's about navigating it together. So it's yeah. not imposing your way onto them. It's about being mindful. And I think so many. Things that you've talked about, Jen, are certainly in relation to your journey with Parkinson's, but really they are applicable to journey in life, all of our journeys in life. They're really powerful pearls of wisdom. Where can people find you, Jen? What's your, so you've got your Parkinson's Facebook group. Yeah. So that's called living, uh, living with Parkinson's 
in Australia and New Zealand. So we yeah. incorporated people from New Zealand. Where else can they find me? Gee, I don't know. Facebook. Jen Harkness on Facebook. if anybody wants to connect on Facebook. If anybody does want to connect, I guess they can contact you through the Happiness Hive. Yeah, yeah, the, the details are absolutely here. Yeah, so what's for me now is I want to get Ida May, which is my old caravan that I bought, back on the road <laughs> and go and do some holidays with her. I've got now big plans to renovate some more of her. Look, and the other thing for me with with about anything anybody has is if you're feeling good, don't feel bad just because other people need to see you limp. Yes, I, mean I love it. Is, yeah. You know, if you're if you're yeah. if you've got a something that's going on and, and you're having a good day, have that good day. Don't worry what people are going to say. I thought you had a chronic pain, or I thought you had chronic illness, or I thought have your good day. And who cares what other people think? Because you should be wanting to get better. You should be doing yeah. things to make yourself feel good. So don't ever apologize for. I mean, I bought. I remember they gave me a disability parking, and I used to limp for the first couple of months because <laughs> I didn't want people judging me for having it on days that I needed it. So. I don't limp anymore. And if you no. want to challenge me, challenge me because it's fine. I turn those challenges into opportunities to educate. Yeah. Um, and I think also I, I see a lot of people dulling their own sparkle because not wanting to sort of shine too brightly for others. Yeah. I think that's the same sort of message, isn't it, Jen, is yeah, to own the, who you are and own. Exactly. And the yeah. reverse of it, it, the reverse of it too is, is we all have bad days as human beings. Yeah. is not, is is part of who I am. I still get colds. Yes. I still limp because I sprained my ankle. Um, you know, like quite often people yeah. say, are you okay? And I'm like, yes, I'm fine. I'm, you know, just yeah. sitting too long or whatever. Like, yes. you know, I'm still uh, life goes because, on. Life, life goes, goes on. on. I'm a human being who has other stuff that happens <laughs> in my life. And I'm really lucky that I have wonderful friends around. Sometimes I think, they all think I'm, a, you know, falling to pieces or something. And no, I'm just thinking, no, I'm 57, Nelly, and I'm, you know, my bones creak when I go to the gym the next day. I'm in pain. Yeah, yeah. no, just, just happened to have Parkinson's as well. So life is normal, and that's what I say. I don't, ref- I don't define everything that I if wake no. up in the morning. I can tell what's Parkinson's and what's not. Yeah, but I don't define myself by my Parkinson's. I have it. I speak about it because it's really important to get awareness out there and and to get others to. Because I'm really passionate about getting, and that's anything. That take Parkinson's yeah. out of anything. It, the, the sooner you get help, the better you get your head in the game. The, the you know, yeah. life's about living. Yeah. You miss too much if you don't do it. Yeah. Oh, Jen, that has been absolutely beautiful, and I have loved. You know, we could talk forever. It Maybe could. there's a part two in the in the wings. So, thank yeah. you. Hugs and happiness to you, and thank you very, very much, Jen. Thank you so much, too. That was awesome. Loved it. Thank you. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed the episode. You can spread the love by sharing it with a friend so she can have a little bit of what we had today. And don't forget to rate and review so we can get it into as many hearts and ears as possible. You can keep the conversation going on my Happiness Hive socials, And if you'd like some more high vibe happiness in your life, come and join me in our community of inspired and motivated women at the Happiness Lounge. This is my online membership club and your central hub for everything you will need to be truly happy and bounce out of bed every day living and loving your best and most beautiful life. To find out more, pop over to the Happiness Hive website and click on the link working with Catherine. Until next time, big hugs and happiness.